How do you speak to yourself? How do you talk to yourself? How do you challenge yourself? We're not very good at talking to ourselves in a, in a spiritually helpful way, are we? Most of the time when we talk to ourselves, you know, you've heard the thing. You know, the, a sign of being crazy is not just talking to yourself, but answering yourself. You know, another sign of being crazy is having hair on your third knuckle. The second sign is looking for it. <clears throat> but we're not very good at talking truth to ourselves, speaking truth, gospel truth to ourselves when we're struggling. We're really good at saying, why me? How long? And that's okay. The psalmist does that. And we see that in Scripture. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't leave it there. I can't believe they did this to me. Or I can't believe I did this. Or I can't. We're, we're good at feeding unbelief in the way that we talk to ourselves, aren't we? But we're pretty bad at feeding faith. And, and today, hope is what we're going to talk about. Are you a negative person? Some of you will remember George Costanza. He said, God will never let me be successful. He will kill me first. And his therapist said, I thought you didn't believe in God. To which George replies, I do for the bad things. How about a positive person? And I mean just this positive attitude thing. This is what's going to fix things. Just be positive. How about this from Monty Python? If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle. That's the thing. And always look on the bright side of life. My goodness, are those our only two choices? Do we just walk around looking like we've been baptized in pickle juice? Or do we just whistle past the graveyard? Praise God, no. Those are not our only two choices. Our text points out a better, another, a necessary, a spiritually helpful choice. The psalmist has a better answer. How to speak to ourselves all the time. And especially... In the times of struggle. He, he, he is arguing with himself. And God through his word. This is his word. Is, is challenging us to argue with ourselves for hope. That's why I titled this arguing for hope. You might have wondered where that title come from. We, we need to learn how to argue with ourselves. Because our hearts lie to us. Our hearts deceive us. Follow your heart is terrible advice by the way. Follow Jesus. Don't trust your heart. Don't follow Jiminy Cricket. Rabbit trail shot. We are to fight to hope in God. And as I said before, we'll have four sermons inspired by the tradition of Advent. Um, hope, peace, joy, and love. Pointing us to hope, peace, joy, and love. To Jesus being the incarnation of those things. And Jesus has brought us hope, peace, joy, and love in Himself. In His first coming to, to live humbly to deal with our sin. And in His promised second coming to finish 
the, the, the work of our salvation. We have hope in Jesus' comings. But we have to fight to live in it. Today, from Psalm 42.5, arguing for hope. Uh, main point, we walk in the hope of Jesus' comings. Notice there's more than one. First, second. We walk in the hope of Jesus' comings by questioning our unbelief and focusing our hearts on Him. Really simple outline. How do we learn to argue with ourselves? By interrogating ourselves and focusing ourselves not just in some general positivity, but on Christ and the salvation that we have in Him. So we walk in the hope of Jesus' comings by questioning our unbelief and focusing our hearts on Him. This comes directly from Psalm 42.5. So first we're going to look and, and we see a command here. Question your wandering heart. If you're believing in Jesus and you haven't come to own the fact that you have a wandering heart, maybe today can be that day. I can't believe you haven't come to feel that. Our hearts, we sing, are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, right? We have to have an anchor. We have to be intentional or we will drift. Drifting is not a good thing. Being at the mercy of the currents of this life is not a good thing. But we need to question our wandering heart. And as I said before, we're going to see this in both Psalm 42 and 43. We'll look at that just a little bit. But they both express a deep yearning for God and hope in the midst of the struggles of this life by arguing for it. Speaking truth to ourselves. Now look at back in verse 42. Psalm 42, verse 5. He's, he's remembering, he's panting for God, he desires God, he remembers times of worship and faithfulness, but right now he's in the midst of turmoil and struggle, and he says this, he asks himself a question in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Can anybody relate to that? Do you ever get cast down? Do you ever in turmoil? Do you ever feel like your guts are being wrenched out? You're in a coma if you don't experience that probably sometimes. Life gets on top of us, doesn't it? It tries to daily. It will daily if you lose focus on God and just look at earth and its stuff and self and circumstances. Life will get way up on top of you. What are we to do when we feel turmoil leaking into our souls? The first thing the psalmist says is to question our souls. When it says cast down here, that word means sorrowful or depressed. There's a lot of causes for depression. Some can be physical. And this is not really a sermon about that. But, you know, if you've exhausted all the physical answers, there's probably a spiritual reason. And it's best to start at the spiritual reason. Now, certainly sometimes we want to send people to their doctor to make sure they're healthy. But I'm just going to warn you. If you go to, especially to a general practitioner these days and say, I'm depressed and anxious, what are they going to do? They're going to throw pills at you. Don't let them do that. 
at least go to a specialist, right? And I'm not t- I would never tell anybody to get off your meds. Don't do that. That can be really dangerous. You just stop taking your medicine. What I am saying is don't start there, right? Because many, many times when our soul is sorrowful and depressed, it's because we've taken our eyes off of the hope that is ours in God. We're not arguing with ourselves. We're just accepting it. So to be cast down is to be sorrowful or depressed. And this turmoil, this word for turmoil means to growl and groan. It's, it's a figure of discouragement. So when I'm, I'm sorrowful and life is beating me down and I'm discouraged and, 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 and it just seems to get, be getting worse, notice what the psalmist does here. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Look in Psalm, in a, in Psalm 43.5. 43.5 says basically the same thing. I have a slide for that, I think. Yeah. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? What are you doing? Where are you looking? Where are you focused? Soul. What's going on? See, the implication here is you shouldn't be. So, the riches I have in God and and the salvation I have in Jesus and the hope, why are you in turmoil and downcast? Why has life gotten on top of you? Because the implication is it shouldn't have. The taunts of the enemy that he's experiencing and the hardship that he's experiencing shouldn't have taken him to this place. He's real enough to say that he's there and he's showing us how to address it. And sometimes we just need to exhort and encourage ourselves in the things that really matter. That's what I mean when I say learn to speak truth to yourself. Because we're really good at making up, when, when something starts going in a bad direction, we're really good at determining what the outcome of that's going to be. And then worrying about, about the fiction that hasn't even happened yet. Mark Twain said, my life has been filled with tragedy. Some of which actually happened. He was a worrier. I relate to that. I understand how easy it is to go that path. But I know one thing that was strange to me the first time I heard it was somebody says, speak truth to yourself. And I was like, what? That's somebody else's job, right? To speak. No, I need to learn to speak truth to myself on a day. You better learn if you're a Christian to speak truth to yourself. You better learn to preach the gospel to yourself on a daily basis. So you can get off the treadmill of performance and be relying on Jesus and encouraged and strengthened by who He is and what He has done for you. Get our focus. You know that those who are most heavenly minded are the most earthly good? That that old saying is being too heavenly minded to be... That's that's no such thing. Colossians 3. The prescription is to focus on your heavenly realities, your union with Christ and seated with Him and the salvation you have in Him so that you can be earthly good. We, rem- we need to remember to worship when we're struggling. To look first up and then to look out. It's true that by serving others you will feel better sometimes. 
But the first place we need to look is up. And the psalmist is telling himself he's forgotten something. He's forgotten something. Psalm 103 though, we need to talk to ourselves. And more than just question ourselves, we need, like I say, speak truth to ourselves. Look at Psalm 103.1 says this. Now notice who the psalmist is talking to. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. And it goes on to talk about not forgetting His benefits. I encourage you to go read that later. And the forgiveness and deliverance and hope and salvation He reminds himself, we would say shorthand, he reminds himself of the Gospel. And he exhorts himself to anchor there. Oh soul, oh my soul, bless the Lord, even in this time of trouble. Remember what you have in Him. See, the Scriptures show us the importance, and this is just a couple of examples, there are way more than this, but the Scriptures show us the importance of talking to ourselves rightly. What do I mean? Just being positive for... No. Speaking truth of Scripture to ourselves. And, and as a daily habit, don't wait till you're in the hole. When you're reading Scripture, like Psalm 1, just you know, reinforce that. Speak that to yourself. Challenge yourself to own it. And live in its light. Because we're, we're, we are good at speaking to ourselves. Badly. Again, I've already highlighted that. You know, first thing kind of, good grief. Can't believe it. Why? If they would just, then I would. Yeah, when they change, I'll feel better. That's not biblical. Nobody likes me. Nothing ever goes my way. You're just following George Costanza when you do that, not Jesus. I relate to this. I understand this. I know what a challenge it is in my own life to speak truth to myself. But the psalmist is telling us how to address our cast down soul, our turmoiled, in turmoiled spirit. It's to speak truth. So the psalmist's first suggestion when we're in turmoil and when we're cast down is to command our souls. This is a command. To command our souls. Listen, we do this too much. We're not just to accept our downcast, turmoiled spirit. We're not just to accept it. It sounds weird to you, doesn't it? But it's real. It's where I am. I know. Fight against it. By arguing with yourself for hope. I'll feel better when I feel better. And it's probably going to be a long time before you feel better. And you can always find somebody to reinforce you in your turmoil. Like I said, don't go hang out with George when you're struggling. Or anybody like that. You know the people that will... And, and don't just go hang out with sickeningly positive people either. It drives me insane. But, but hang out with people who you know, especially when you're in turmoil. Notice, don't isolate. That makes things worse. Hang out with people who you know are going to help you speak truth to yourself. And then don't get mad at them when they do. Because sometimes they're going to say to you, you're in turmoil because you violated God's command right here. Accept it. 
But the psalmist is telling us to speak to ourselves, to challenge ourselves, to not just accept our disquieted spirit. We're to question it and rebuke it. And secondly, we're to focus our wandering heart. Look what he says in the rest of verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Now watch this. Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Look to God. Look to His truth. Look to who He is and who He is for you in Jesus, His Son. So, don't just mire up in your turmoil and your, and your, your struggle, but get your head up, metaphorically speaking. Hope in God. There's hope in God. God set His love on us before the foundation of the world. He sent His Son to die for every single one of His people to pay the penalty for our sin, to be raised from the grave and reigning and coming again for us. And we are forgiven if we're trusting in Jesus for all of our sins. If we've turned away from self and loving sin to turning to hating it and loving Him and seeking to be free from it, trusting Him for salvation, we have a lot to be hopeful in in God. But he says, hope in God. He said, what he's saying to himself is, you've lost sight of your source. You're never changing, fully sufficient source of hope. You've gotten your focus down on your enemies or your struggle or your trouble or your circumstances and you're wondering why you're in trouble and it's just that you've lost sight of any sufficient reason for hope in the midst of this struggle. And listen, this is not a just a... Some, sometimes we do it like this. We're, we're, down, we're, we're, we're down and we're discouraged and it says, hope in God. So we say, I hope in God. And then we look at ourselves again to see if anything changed. Nope, that didn't work. I knew it. I knew it wouldn't work. Back into the hole we go. And we, we, you know, we misuse Scripture like that. We, th- it, we think you know, it'll just automatically change us if we just check a box. No, it's change your habit, change your work. Look to God and continue looking to God. doesn't mean you're not real about your problems, but you're placing them in the context of who He is for you. And therefore, you, you gain hope that way. Hope is used in a, in a bunch of different ways. I'm going to mention two. There are more than this. But just I think this sets a good contrast to help us understand what biblical hope is. So hope can be used for first for a desire for something in the future. It's kind of like a wish this way, right? I, I wish I had a new car, or I'm hoping for a new car. I'm hoping for a new job. I'm hoping for a spouse. I'm hoping for this, kids. I'm hoping for this for Christmas, right? Depending on past experiences, you might have more or less confident hope. <laughs> or you might be asking for something unreasonable. Your parents can help that with that. But, you know, I hope I grow up. <laughs> I hope I graduate. I hope I get married. It's kind of more of a wish. Whereas, co- contrast with that, biblical hope is a confident expectation of something in the future. Something we have good reason to know it's coming. We have word on it. We have proof for it. So we, we, when we say that we hope 
Our hope is in the resurrection. We're not saying we sort of have doubt and just wish it comes true. And No, there's a confident expectation that Jesus will return. That's proved by His first coming and His resurrection. Right? Christianity is the best proven thing on earth if you don't use a double standard. That won't satisfy you if you're in rebellion against God. But it's true. But biblically, hope is a confident expectation. That's biblical hope. Waiting confidently. Waiting patiently. Looking forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial and is yours and to some extent is coming. So to hope in God is to focus on God and His promises. To have His reality and the truth of who He is and His promises to have that be the lens through which you see the troubles of this life. To see them, we shorthand that, to look through the cross, to look through Jesus, to have that be the glasses that we wear. The gospel be the glasses. The truth about God, big picture, and His salvation to us, and certainly focused on Christ dying for our sins and being raised and reigning and coming again. But to hope in God is to focus back on God is to get Him in the picture and between you and the trouble and to begin to interpret the trouble in light of who He is for you. And listen, disability doesn't just come when you are converted. We learn to war with the truth. We learn to apply God's promises to our situation. We grow in grace. And to the extent that we isolate ourselves, we don't grow in grace. But in community, like I'm preaching to the choir, you're here today. But as we walk with one another and grow in grace, we get better at both walking in hope ourselves and having others walk in hope as we practice what God has given us. See, this does not mean that life won't have its hardships. In fact, you can see in the psalm, he's, he's surrounded by hardship. But he's saying, I can have hope in the midst of this hardship if I will redirect my gaze and focus it on God and who He is for me and His promises and His gospel, His truth that is mine in Jesus. Because if you are a believer and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, when you put your struggles in the context of who God is and His promises, it will feed your hope. Even in the midst of the struggle. See, sometimes God takes the trouble away and sometimes He takes us through it. And it's all wisdom designed to make us more like Jesus. Some of us have trials we won't have the end of in this life. But He's sufficient to go through that trial with you to make you productive for His kingdom, to grow you in grace as you go through it. So when we put our struggles in the context of who God is and His promises, it feeds our hope. The trouble, the trial, you know, because of who God is and His promises surrounding it, it actually feeds our hope instead of weakening it. it we trust the outcome to Him and His grace. And we hope in Him in the midst of it. So listen, here's a practical implication. If we are filled with His promises, His Word about who He is and what He's up to and what He promises us, if we're filled with His Word, we will be more filled with His hope. Because we'll, we can more quickly hope in God if we know who He is. Right? It's not just saying, I hope in God. 
It's, 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 it's looking to God and realizing that, that He is holy and righteous and pure and that He is good and loving and gracious and that He never fails and He always succeeds and He promises to work all things together for my good. Even this struggle I'm going through, Romans 8.28. But to be able to look to God and to be filled with His promises, we have to be filled with His Word, which means we must prioritize His Word. You ever wonder why God gave us 66 books and not one? Why He gave us a whole Bible? Why He tells us to be filled with His Word? Is it just because He's mean and He wants to ruin our fun? No, He's empowering us and helping us to walk in the grace that is ours in Christ. To know Him. Yes, it's to know about Him, but it's more than that. It's to walk with Him and know Him. To experience Him as He takes us through things and encourages and grows our faith. But if we're going to focus on God and His promises, we have to be filled with His Word. It's too late. When you start going through the trial, you start reading. You don't know anything. You start reading then. It's going to be rare. I mean, God will work. And He will help us. He meet us in our situation. Sometimes He brings somebody alongside of us. But, you, but He commands us to be filled with His Word so that we can have hope. And if we're going to be filled with His Word, we're going to have to prioritize it. So you've probably all seen this illustration. Maybe you haven't. But it's just an illustration to show you that we, the importance of priorities and the, the fact that we have time for what we prioritize. We're not going to play ball, kids. Well, not in that sense. And I don't know what to do with all this. But imagine, if you will, that the softball is... God and His promises and your devotion to Him. It's life in God. It's, it's, it's your walking with Christ. It's your God and your faith in Him. And then the golf balls are various important things in life with varying importance. We'll go through, through those in a minute. The, the rice is the small stuff. Right? You've heard it say, don't sweat the small stuff. I would say sweat the small stuff so that you don't live on the basis of the small stuff. Here it is. So what we're all good at doing and we're born good at doing, and some of us are more orderly than others, but what we tend to do is say this is, this is our life. And what we tend to do is prioritize the small stuff. The video games, the wasting time, the, in various forms that we do that, and we all do it in different ways. And so if we're not careful... We prioritize the small stuff. And then we're like, oh no, what about my important stuff? I got to really rush and get the important stuff done. And so if we're married, I'm going to solve half of your marriage problems right now. This should have been a baseball, but I didn't have one. And some important things drop to the floor sometimes, don't they? But this ball is spouse. If you're married under God, this is the most important and the biggest ball. Your kids are not the most important people in your life. Sorry, kids. Your spouse is. And if you'll believe that and live in light of that, 
just solved a ton of your marriage problems. You're welcome. Please apply it. But we've, 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 we've prioritized the small stuff and it's almost filled up our lives. And now we start adding in the important stuff like job and work. Don't say boo. It's a good thing. Like I've already said spouse and that, imagine it's a baseball. Home. If you have a home, you better, you're going to have to work on it. Kids. Take time. Right? Spend time with your kids. It's important. Health. Work out. Eat right. Do, but it takes time, right, to do those things. Friends. You need friends. Right? They're a pretty important thing. They're not the most important thing. So we put friends in there. And then a hobby. I was generous. We all need a hobby, right? So we throw that in there. Now we've got all this small stuff in priority and we're, we're freaking out to get the important stuff in. And then somebody comes along and says, you got to be filled with the Word if you're going to have hope. And we go, oh, okay. All right. I'll do it. I don't have time. I don't have time. I can't, I don't have time. Because we've prioritized the small stuff. It's like saying, I, I, don't, I can't afford to give. Right? Because we've filled up our money, spending it on small stuff. There needs to be a reorientation. Alright, so what if we make better priorities though? All right, where's, where's God supposed to fall in our lives? Now y'all say that. I say that. But do we consistently live that? Every day we have to fight for it, don't we? But what if we've prioritized God? And He's first. And that, this could be the whole of life. This is just an illustration to show you priorities. And then on, on that, we base our relationship with our spouse and our home and our kids and our friends and our hobbies and our work and our health. And you could put a lot of other important balls in. And then, then we begin to put the small stuff in. You mean I can still have fun and have right priorities? You can enjoy it more because you have right priorities. I can still go on vacation and, yeah. You can still have friends? Certainly. But when we prioritize what we should prioritize, look at there. It all fits. Now, in reality, you probably have to give up some, some of the small stuff to make things fit. But as opposed to the bad priorities, and if I want to really squeeze this and fight with this, I can get it to slide down past the rice and fit in there. But look at there, it all fits. But what went in first? Good priorities free us up to live the life we've been called to live. And when we start with God, then He's on our side and putting all the other things into their proper perspective. This is not as easy as me filling up this picture. And this is a life of work. But this shows... One of the things I wanted to show you with this is you do have time. It's just priorities are out of whack. Right? 
We have time. We have enough to prioritize God. And that's what He's calling us to do. And so, you won't go away from this sermon and just be remember what I said and next time you have a struggle, say, oh, hope in God. Hope. No, I'm challenging you to change your priorities to begin to focus and really prioritize God and live a fruitful, abundant life that has Him at the core, at first. The first priority. And then all of the small stuff and all of the struggles are immersed in that and we're able to be encouraged if we prioritize. Here's the truth. We always have time for what we prioritize. Did you ever? I won't pick on anybody I know. Your thing is baseball. Now, maybe I will pick on you. I just don't know it. And you love the Yankees. And you wear the hat and the shirt. Do you have time to watch the game? Yeah, most times, because you prioritize it. You'll shift things around. Right? We, prior, we, we have time for what we prioritize. See, we have time for God. He went in first. And here's the convicting thing for me. We prioritize what we love. That's the one that hurts. Because if God is last and left out, all I'm showing is that I've lost my first love or I don't love God. He's, he's last if He fits and if He doesn't, oh well, I don't have... You see what I'm saying? That convicts me. We have time for what we prioritize and we prioritize what we love. If we love God because, listen, not legalism. What should happen when Jesus comes into our life and we realize that He lived for me. He died for me. He gives me the free gift of salvation. His righteousness. He died. He took hell for me. He paid the penalty for my sins. And He gives me salvation as a free gift. That should produce love in my life for Him that causes me to prioritize Him. He wasn't being evil and nasty when He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He's just stating the reality. So my, my priorities show me the extent to which I love God, really. And it's okay to hear that and it's okay to be convicted by that. We just seek to change and we do it in a grace-centered, gospel-centered way to begin to prioritize God. See, sound, listen to me, you've got to believe me. Sound theology is the basis for lasting hope. That's why God gave us 66 books. And said, be filled with the message of Christ. This is all the message of Christ. To understand it and interpret it rightly in light of the coming of Christ. And we'll help you do that. But you need every book in this Bible. You need every verse in this Bible. Not just the ones in the promise book. They're all ripped out of context. <laughs> Sound theology. What is theology? Study of God. Truly knowing God is the foundation of walking in lasting hope. It's just another way to say the same thing. But a sound theology or a healthy theology, healthy words, Paul says, comes from me knowing His Word and walking in it, focused on Him. But sound theology is what will set you free. I remember a lady named Susan in East Columbia Baptist Church. She was George Costanza on steroids. She was a believer 
And she had had cancer and she had had a lot of struggles. And she was convinced that all of her troubles because, was because God was out to get her. That God hated her, didn't love her, was out to get her, was out to spoil her fun. And she couldn't talk to you for two minutes without crying. And I mean sad tears, not happy tears. She was, at that time, she was one of the biggest basket cases I've ever been associated with. Because she, she didn't know God. She was saved. She had, a, she had accepted Christ. But nobody had ever taught her truth. And she didn't really have good habits in the Word. And she didn't know God. And so the voice of the world, the flesh, and the devil was twisting her up. And through, through us talking with her and sharing the gospel with her and helping her. And one Sunday school class radically transformed her life. It was a Sunday school class on the attributes of God. By the time that Sunday school class was over, you would have thought you were looking at a different woman. Countenance completely changed. Joy, tears of joy. Reaching out again with the gospel. She had a passion for kids and to reach kids with the gospel. But what made the difference in her life and what fueled her hope was a true knowledge of her God which came through the Word. And boy, when we shared the truth of the gospel with her and the truth of God's grace and His love for her, you, you could just see stuff falling off of her. She couldn't believe it. How good God was. Sound theology is the basis for lasting hope and sound theology comes through loving God and prioritizing knowing Him in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So what's to happen? Look at verse 6 in Psalm 42. I think I have a slide for that. So what he said at the end of verse 45 was, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And in verse 6, my, now watch this, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. I'm cast down so I look up. First reflex. First response. Very last verse in Psalm 42. Hope in God. My salvation and my God. My soul is cast down. So remember what I know. I remember what I know from your word. I remember who you are. That you are my God and my salvation. That as we've sung earlier today, that, it, that he, he, he gave His Son, His Son willingly claimed, Jesus, both God and man, came into this world, Galatians 4.4, 4, at exactly the right time, born under His own law, to walk in perfect obedience to that law in thought, word, and deed, not because He was unrighteous, but to provide a perfect standing for us before God. And then Jesus, the God-man, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And because He was both God and man in one person, He drank the dry that was due all of his people so that he could say it is finished kids for God so loved the world adults for God so loved the world or this is how he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes into him whoever trusts in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that one verse is fuel for hope but notice the psalmist mentions our reason for hope, my salvation and my God. Hope does, listen to me, hope, hope does not come naturally to us. 
It must be cultivated like a garden. Go out in your yard, take some garden seeds and just throw them out in the grass and see what happens. Must be cultivated, must be turned over. Our hearts must be turned over and plowed with the truth of God's Word and God's Gospel and God's Son. Cultivating hope. We have to, listen, we have a choice as Christians. We can speak truth to ourselves diligently, daily, forcefully, repeatedly, telling our souls, ourselves to hope in God and His promises and prioritizing that so that we're feeding on His Word and His promises. Or we can give way to a disquieted spirit and just lose hope. Most of us live somewhere in the middle of that, right? We're kind of dabbling over here and... Christ, why did Jesus come? Well, we know He came to save us. But He came to bring us hope as part of that. An eternal hope. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life and a hope that goes beyond this life. And when I die, I'm just shuttle road into heaven. I'm with Him forever. I'll come back with Him, get a new body, and we'll live with new heavens and new earth with Him. That's true. But then hope of God's knowing God, His, His, His sovereignty and His omnipotence, His all power and His all knowledge and His all wisdom and His ability to shape things according to His glory and my good, which means that He can cause all of my troubles and trials to work together for good, for His glory and for me growing in the image of God. See, Christ has come as our hope, the embodiment of hope, who brings us hope through His grace and has given us his spirit so that we can mine his word and fuel the hope that he's brought. See, we look back to Christ's first coming and hope in his salvation, his death, burial and resurrection, his promises to forgive us and cleanse us and fill us with his spirit and and grow us in grace. And we look forward to his second coming when he will return and finish the work that he's begun so that we'll have a new body and be with him forever. We have continually reasons for hope. And He brought us hope. And we have to be continually reminding ourselves of the precious truth of our gracious God of hope. He's called the God of hope. We have to learn to speak truths to our, truth to ourselves. And we have to learn to wait well. That's where we struggle. To wait well with confident expectation. So just as the ancient Israelites looked forward to the coming of the Messiah in the flesh, His first coming, we look forward to the coming of the Messiah in glory, His second coming. He is our hope. And hope by its very nature requires patience and perseverance. And His truth inspires our confidence. The more truth in the heart, the more peace in the life. The more confidence, the more hope. So biblical hope is a patient confidence in God's promises. A confidence that puts who He is around our struggles so that we have hope in them. We know He's coming again. We know we, we will be like Him when He returns. We know we will have the new heavens and the new earth and life forever. So being hopeful and encouraged by that hope, we seek to live for Him and even walk through Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death, knowing our shepherd is with us. Therefore, we don't have to fear. 
and we don't have to be downcast and we don't have to be in turmoil if we will look to Him and hope in Him. Three examples as I close of what we hope for. What we know is coming. If you're trusting in Jesus, these are coming for you. Maybe today you don't feel like it. Maybe today is a bad day for faith, right? None of us have a perfect faith. And on a daily basis, that meter bounces back and forth. But if you're trusting in Jesus, this is true. You have a confident expectation. This is coming for you. Resurrection from the dead. Because He was raised, you will be raised. You won't stay in the grave forever. And in fact, your spirit will never go in the grave. Just your body, your spirit will return to God who gave it. But you'll have a new body. The older you get, kids, the more this means to you. <laughs> the flaws really start showing up, don't they? And uh, have your fun, kids. Beat yourself to death if that's what you think is fun. But you'll pay the price for every one of those knocks when you get older. It leaves a mark. But you have resurrection and the new body to look forward to. And you have a new world where there'll be no more sin and there no more misery. New heavens and new earth. No more tears. No more crying. No more death. No more pain. Read Revelation 21. I don't have time. Because we will have a worldwide king. Jesus. King of kings. Lord of lords. Our savior who is the perfecting of hope and the one in whom we can have hope if we trust Him and love Him and talk to His truth to ourselves, seeking hope where He has planted it in a right understanding of Him through His Word. See, His salvation began at His first coming and it's perfected in His second coming. He is coming again. Hebrews 9.28 says this about Christ and I encourage you to go back and read it in context. I don't have time. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus? The more you're rooted and grounded in His grace, the more that eager waiting for Him and that hope in Him is grown so that you can say, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. See, I started out asking you, how do you speak to yourself? Are you speaking the truth to yourself, especially when you're down? Are you questioning your heart and focusing your heart on God when you're down? Waiting confidently on Him then, knowing that's the prescription for hope being fed. Are you storing up the truth, the promises of God in your heart so that you're armed and ready for the day of downcast. Like the psalmist, we must argue for hope with ourselves, but argue from His truth. Real, lasting, and growing hope is found in the only true and living God and in the good news of His grace to us in Christ. So wait in hope, in confident expectation, on your king. Wait in faith. And wait in hope. Through the salvation. And the word. That he has given you. Because he. Is coming. Again. To live as Christ. Let's pray. 
God, have mercy on us and help us and strengthen us. None of us are perfect at this. All of us are on the way of growth and grace. And like I said, some days are better than others. And Lord, but in general, help us to love you because of your grace. May the gospel produce a deep and abiding and a passionate love for you. That causes us to prioritize you and your word and your people, your, your truth. So that we can have right priorities in our lives. And be armed and ready for the day of turmoil and downcast. And glorify you even in the midst of the storm. Thank you for hope. Without you we have no hope, Paul says in Ephesians. In you we have great hope. Because Christ came to save sinners. We qualify. Lord, none of us are glorified yet, as I said. We still struggle to, to believe you. We still struggle to hope in you. We still struggle to prioritize you. And in every stage of life, that struggle gets, gets uh, greater sometimes. But uh, just help us. We know that you're with us. You're for us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. Help us to look to you. Help us to believe you. Help us to seek you on a daily basis and to speak of you to those who don't know you. And especially this time, we have just sort of an open door to talk about Christ at Christmas and the, the coming of our Savior. So help us to brag on you and be real about you and share your gospel with those who don't know you. But Lord, help us to interrogate ourselves when we're down and ask ourselves why and exhort ourselves, our souls, our spirit, our minds, our hearts to hope in you. To trust and rest in you. And really believe. Before we feel better. That you are in it with us. You're cashing it in to make us like Jesus. And you will use it. For your glory. Whatever it is. So help us not to believe lies. And to speak lies to ourselves. But help us to believe truth. And to speak truth to ourselves. And if there be one in this room. Or listening over the internet. That does not know you. Is not trusting and resting. In Jesus, we pray that today would be the day of turning. Today would be the day of faith. Today would be the day when they say, have mercy on me, a sinner. When they believe on, when they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. When they cry out to you for salvation and place all their hope in your son. Lord, work mightily in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen.